can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! We have, uh, just as the uh, year cruises to an end, we thought we'd get in. Uh, you know, you, you suggested we speak to this gentleman, man, I did. person. We've covered all bases there. Uh, uh, you, and uh, I'm delighted to say we have uh, sitting opposite me now a man called Richard Norton, who is, um, he's got a list of credentials and a CV uh, you, as long as your arm. But he is a, um, uh, an Australian, but he's uh, worked extensively overseas. And let me just read out, and he'll correct most of this, because that's what people do when I read most of their uh, credentials out. He is a martial, he's in the Martial Arts Hall of Fame. He's an actor, stunt coordinator, a security consultant, a fight choreographer. He's, uh, now I don't know what any of this means, he's a fifth Dan Black Belt in Goju, I, I can see him looking at me, uh, but he's going to explain <laughs> so what so good. Gojo is. He's a sixth Dan belt, black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's an eighth Dan black belt in Chun Kai Do. Chun Kuk Do. Chun Kuk Do. Chun Kuk Do. He's ranked sixth in the U in U.S. kickboxing. He's been a bodyguard for a list of celebrities, which we'll get to in a minute. He's uh, familiar with the work and has worked with uh, the great Chuck Norris. He's um, been uh, inter intimately involved in Jackie Chan's movies. And um, he is um, a uh, not a quiet achiever because he's very well known, but he is a star. And he's going to join us here. And I hope we can make some sense of uh, asking him some good questions about uh, what he does in the film and uh, entertainment industry. Welcome, Richard Norton. Thank you, Sam. Thank and, you, Sue. Uh, I can say this because people can speak for my uh, credentials and uh, my agenda, but he's an extremely good-looking rooster. And uh, so... Uh, <laughs> this is true. I would, I would agree specimen, with that. <laughs> very fit specimen, a very good-looking person. And I think you can say that about anyone these days, can't you? Wow. Uh, and it doesn't, you don't have to apologise for why you're saying it. So uh, welcome to uh, You Cannot Be Serious, Richard. Now tell me this. Uh, you, you, uh, I, I, it says that you're... You're 71, 2 or 3 or? 74 in a week. 74. Wow. You, look as a you, look you look as a 12. Uh, but uh, surely you're not doing... Intellectually, maybe. Yeah, that's absolutely the idea. You'll both get on well then. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So I wouldn't think, oh, I could be wrong, would you be you still actively involved in doing stunts? Or is a 73-year-old body not cut out for the work that you used to do? Well, doing, um, I'm more involved in fight coordinating yes. now, which means I uh, help put together the fights for the actors, train the actors, get them ready for whatever action they're going to have to do. But I, I'm not, I'm not doing cast stunts or high falls or anything like that. You know, in fact, my whole my whole history is mainly in the fight action area. So whether I was acting or doing fight coordinating, stunt coordinating, that was sort of my little lane that I would stay in. I mean, there's, there's 
there's tons of professionals that specialise in whether it's fire burns or cars and crashes, and I leave that all to them. So how exacting, and so when <coughs> we go to the movies and we get just uh, go into a different world and we think, wow, he hit him over the head and wow, he did that and he punched him and he kicked him, how exacting is it to actually train people to make sure, A, they don't injure themselves or the people uh, that they're uh, meant to be doing the stunts against or with, and how, how much insurance is involved with the film studios and just how much safety... Get? I noticed that the man who shot someone to death... <laughs> what was his name? Um, uh, uh, what was that bloke's name? Yeah, on the film, on Rust, Alec Baldwin. Yeah, Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, yes. the gun went off. Uh, that was probably still an ongoing court case. I don't know about that, but how exacting is it to actually get it right? No, it's very exacting. And what I would say about a lot of the stunts in, in reasonably budgeted movies, and I say reasonably budgeted because I think there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of possibility of stuff going wrong when mm. you don't have proper preparation. Like my job is to train an actor to be able to do a fight safely, but the biggest part is to make it look absolutely believable but with no actual contact within reason if you're using the actors. And that takes a lot of work. It's, it's why a lot, I say a lot of stunt people, it's why they get paid the big dollars. It's not easy to make a fight on screen, whether it's a barroom fight or a martial arts fight or something that you might see Scarlett Johansson do in one of the Marvel films. It's not easy to make it look real, and that's the job. And, you know, the camera has no sense of depth, so part of the instruction when you're training people is that, that I can put a punch and make it six inches away from you, providing the camera angle is correct, and the reaction to the punch is correct, and the punch is thrown with intent, then hopefully we get something believable to the audience that are watching it. And, and, and it's true, there's a lot of insurance involved in everything else, but that's why they hire people like me that know the fight action, to not only give the actor the confidence to know they can do it, but also, again, yes, to make sure that they're absolutely safe, especially when you have an actor fighting another actor. It's a little easier if they're fighting a professional stunt person because that person's trained to almost expect that the actor is not going to do what the choreography dictates. And the onus would be just as much on the person who's being aggrieved as in the person who's doing the punching. Uh, the person who's meant to be receiving the punch, the onus is on him as much to uh, make it as realistic that he's been hit and fall down. And it's it's, 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 it's actually more important than the actual punch. Yes. You know, the way the person sells the punches, we call it, they snap their head the way they hit the ground like a sack of potatoes is very, very important to the believability of it. You know, because you could, you could get, say, a, a smaller actress, you know, female throwing a punch that obviously wouldn't be able to maybe knock a six-foot-five five person on your butt. But providing that person, the six-foot-five person, really sells and reacts, you do get to where you believe. Now, of course, it's a movie, you know, so it's, we call it cinematic license. We're giving a license to the fact that this character is supposedly so well-trained that they're able to sort of make anything work on a bigger person. And you've worked on Asian films as well. So is there a difference between, say, Hong Kong cinema working with someone like Jackie Chan? Isn't there actual contact in some of those films? Yeah, there is. You know, I, um, the first movie I ever did was 1984 with Jackie Chan. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm on the way over in the plane thinking, oh, this will be good, 10-hour days. Well, what a rude awakening it was for me. Because first of all, when the fight stuff starts, which is the whole focus of his movies, it's yes. not about drama and talking heads so much as it is about the fight scenes that are usually <laughs> quite long. But I was, I was literally, and it's not an exaggeration, for the first fight I did with this gentleman, Sammo Hong, who's yeah, like the Steven Spielberg of, of uh, Hong Kong movies, I was on the set 18 hours a day, seven days a week doing wow. that fight. And the contact, you know, he hit me with sidekicks that plastered me up against the wall. He's pretty much showing him as hard as he can. And I even had to cop bare-fisted uppercuts under the chin because they put the camera in a way that you could not cheat it. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember saying, but if you put the camera over here, I can react a lot better if I don't think I'm going to get hit. No, 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 you have to put the camera here. So they wanted to see the fist actually hitting my chin and I found a little bit of cotton wool to put in my teeth because wow. I didn't want to... Yeah. And, and by the way, you're seeing the one take as the audience, but mm. they were renowned then for doing 15, 20, 30 mm. takes on wow. one piece. So I'm copying this because I wanted to see my face contort in slow motion, you know, while he's hitting me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, this is a long time ago and I was, I was in pretty good shape and I, I, I was okay with the contact, which, which is really the reason I got to do something like five movies with Jackie. It wasn't because I was better than anybody else, but they knew I would take the false, take the bumps, would sort of yeah. zip it as it Many were, Western actors might not do that well I mean, some would come on set i imagine and think what the hell i'm getting the hell beaten out of me yeah no absolutely and and with so and, and the other difference with with hong kong movies as opposed to western movies is there's there's virtually no script meaning mm. in a western movie say if you did mad max and you had a fight scene you'd work the whole fight out and you would shoot a master as they called and then you'd go in and do coverage over the shoulder certain inserts with hong kong movies after the first three or four, they have no idea what the next moves are going to do. be, which in one way makes it very spontaneous. They can take it whatever direction they like, but you can't really prepare. So mm. hence it takes so long, you know, to actually shoot. So that's they'll just go and do a quick edit that night and figure out how long they want the fight to be and which direction they wanted to go. But well, yeah. What were some of the great um, fight scenes that you've done and what are some of the movies that you've worked on? No, probably the most complex are absolutely the Jackie Chan movies because, mm -hmm. again, that's that's their thing, you know. And they're not believable, of course. You know, you get hit 49 times, you know, in the space of 10 minutes. But you've got to remember their audiences weren't so much about watching a film as though it's a documentary fight. You know, it's all about the artistry. If you put a person on wires and they pull them up in the air and they throw 10 kicks in the air and everything their sort of audience will applaud the complexity of that sort of fight. In fact, Jackie shared with me when he when I first got there, he has every silent movie like Buster Keaton mm. and Laurel and Hardy mm. and the Three Stooges, and he used to study the stick of that. In other mm. words, it was... I read a review once of Jackie which hit it on the head for me. They said, watching Jackie in a fight scene is like watching a speeding bullet in reverse. It's like him trying to get away from the back, which is what someone like Charlie Chaplin used to do. And he'd use an umbrella or a ladder or whatever yes. props. Props are the huge thing mm -hmm. with the Hong Kong movies. And so it was, was very comedic. And he said, I wanted the audience to be able to switch all the sound off, no dialogue, and still enjoy just the physicality of the fight scenes they do. 
So you have a good relationship with Jackie Chan? Is he? Do you mix socially with him, or is it just strictly business? Is, is he, would you say he's a, a friend of yours and a companion? Yeah, I, I would say he's a friend, but it's been a long time since I've seen him. Jackie's long since now based in China. Uh, he's left the Hong Kong sort of... Uh, is he your age? Where well, is he? Yeah, no, Jackie would be my age. Yep. I think he might be a year or two younger, yep. but I'm not sure. But he's still working non-stop. Mm. But we're friends. You know, I was lucky, and I say lucky, that Sam and Jackie just really liked me. They took me shopping. I went for looking for cameras and restaurants and everything. Well, Hong Kong's great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. but 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 having said that, on set, it's all business, yep. you know. It's a bit, you know, you hear about comedians like, oh, it's Robin Williams, he's probably funny all the time, but they're not funny all the time. That's what they do. That's their business, do you know what I mean? And to get the so-called comedic side of a fight scene out is, is what they do, and he treats it incredibly serious. So, so Richard Norton, uh, <coughs> we're speaking to, um, it's big businesses, uh, you... Um you and this is a subtle way of asking you: Are you well remunerated? Uh, is this a is, is people like you get very well paid for doing this because it's what the show's about? Yeah, in, y yes and no. Danger. Com I would say compared to what you know, not compared to the A-list actors and everything else. See, in the stunt world, you know, you had the Screen Actors Guild as a union, and they have a set weekly salary yeah. different for a stuntman than it is for a coordinator. You can get above that, but not often. Do you know what I mean? That's what you do. Yep. The difference for me is if I also act. You know, I did a lot of acting in the like lower budget movies and everything else. So that's a, a whole different pay structure and pay scale. But as far as the action world, now it's pretty much determined by the unions and what they put down. And the reason they can do that is, yes, there's a lot of specialists that can get a little more, but it's a very competitive field. There's a lot of people who would love to be doing what I'm doing, which means, you know, the old saying, nobody's indispensable, you know? You have um, to know each other, really. obviously. It's obviously an area, if you make a mistake, you can have serious consequences, correct? Yeah, no, and, and that's part of it. You know, most of the coordinators and even directors have a team Mm -hmm. Meaning people they've worked with that they know they can trust, they know they're going to look after the actor. Yep. And, and that's, a, that's a common theme. You know, they, they don't want to have to be sweating over who they've hired to do a fight or do an action piece mm -hmm. or whatever. And you yeah. were part of um, the new George Miller's uh, Fury Road, which was considered one of the best action films of all time by critics in the last uh, 10 years. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, that was incredible. First of all, you know, I, a friend of mine, Guy Norris, who I've worked with for 30 years, he was involved in the very first Mad Max. Oh, wow. Um, so he hired me on that, and I was thrilled to be part of such an iconic Australian action franchise. Was amazing. Did you we go to Nam Namibia? Namibia, yeah. We what was that like? filmed in a place called Swakopmund, which is like Swakamond. a German sort of colony, it used to be very much down the south of Africa. And yep. the reason we went there was supposed to be shot in Broken Hill. In fact, there were six weeks or whatever rehearsals. And they suddenly had unseasonable rains, so everything turned green, oh. which didn't suit the post-apocalyptic world of George Miller so suddenly all the vehicles and everything which were all built from scratch by the way are put on ships and sent over to Africa so off we went and we filmed in Namibia which is incredible mm. you know but but I remember arriving in Swakamond or whatever and it it looked like Alice Springs and I thought <laughs> no wonder they want to shoot here because you could drive a hundred k's in one direction not see a tree wow 
and their summer is with us. So that's why it was so suitable. And um, yeah, it was amazing, but hard. You know, your your life in that shoot is in a tin can, which is a vehicle. Because I played one of the characters in that film as well as doing the fight coordinating. And, uh, you know, you've got dust storms and heat and everything else. I mean, people always look at films and say, oh, it must be so much fun. And you go, well, not so much, you know. After the fact, when ten you see the end result, it's good. But I've got to tell you, working with someone like George, he's just, George is like that, that, that lovely, sweet old uncle you wish you had. He's such a gentle man. But every, every frame of those films including Furiosa which we just finished and you were just involved in Furiosa yeah work can you reveal anything without George Miller coming over here to shoot you no just just that again the the story now there's no Mad Max in this one yes as you know there's no cameo from uh, as uh, as Max Mm -hmm. but now it's um Anya Taylor-Joy who was in the Queen's Gambit you know it's a, a chess film she's done a lot of stuff she's playing the young Charlize Theron character and Chris Hensworth he seems to be a strange character yeah What's he, who does he play strange. well he, just, he <laughs> looks bizarre he looks like the villain right yeah, which, the villain? which is very cool it's Chris Chris is amazing I've got to tell you I'm allowed to swear on it because I remember <laughs> I, you know I'd been on the film a couple of weeks and my wife Judy I was on the phone to her in uh, Broken Hill or Hay mm-hmm. She said, oh, have you met Chris yet? And I said, yeah, yeah, I met him a couple of weeks ago. Oh, what do you think? I said, fuck him. <laughs> She's like, what do you mean, fuck him? I said, fuck him. He's six foot four. He's built like a brick shit house. Yeah. I said, he's even got perfect skin. And she's laughing. He said, you even noticed he had perfect skin. And, and he's a super, super nice guy and such a committed professional. Mm-hmm. Plus, he just sold his fitness app for something like, or involvement in it for $200 million. So I said, fuck him. No, he deserves all of that. I said, I'll find something wrong with him. Just give me a bit of time. <laughs> and but, your, that's your wife, Judy Green. Judy and Green. Uh, she would be, uh, she, and Judy Green um, uh, was... Um, Sailor to entry with Tony Barber. No, she was, what else was she? Albert Mangles. Yeah. No, Albert Mangles. Uh, you better tell us it's your wife. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah no, she, you know, Judy was on the first uh, six years of Sale of the Century yeah, with Tony. She just started. Went yeah. away to the Amazon with Elby yep. Mangles uh, to do the documentaries World Safari, which was huge. Huge. And um, they were in an accident, though. A bus hit the Jeep that Judy mm. and the cameraman Elby were in. Judy's head hit the dash. Mm. She ended up with a 180-degree skull fractures, hematomas on the brain, stroke down the right side of her body, which a lot of people don't know because the... The effects of that afternoon were, were covered up to some degree, mm. you know, due to all sorts of reasons I won't go into. So um, that sort of finished her celebrity career. Yeah. She was, you know, at one stage she was one of the most photographed models in Australia. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm, that's yeah, what I was getting I, at. Yeah, yeah. But I, I met, there was, an, people get confused with Belinda Green, who oh, I think right. was Miss Australia, but different. Yeah, but we've been together 37 years now. Oh, great. I mean, she's still just, beautiful, isn't she? Yeah, though no, she's, she's a wonderful she's, lady. She's a she's a a fighter. Do you know mm. what I mean? She, she, what she lost in that accident, you would never know. She will never moan about what she doesn't <laughs> have. Her reading is almost like being dyslexic and everything, but she just gets on with stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so that's your that's your that the stunt coordination and the fight choreographer <laughs> is one part of uh, what you do, and the. Other part, I presume, through reputation and uh, 
people chatting and uh, word of mouth are you a security detail to do security for celebrities and yeah uh, personal bodyguard yeah which entails just keeping the riffraff away from the what is it what is it what does that entail yeah no you looking out for um, everything you know yep. you're you're basically you know, i used to laugh it's almost becoming like the makeup artist on a movie set you're kind of joined at the hip with the artists, so you get to know everything that goes on, everything they do, everything they like and don't like. And you're really there as a deterrent. Like, you know, I worked for 14 years with Linda Ronstadt and James Taylor, eight years with David Bowie, wow. Fleetwood Mac, ABBA, you know, There's security for names. their personal bodyguards. Yeah. yeah, and you're just there every time they go out to a restaurant or whatever, and obviously the gigs, you know, you're there. And you're there really to just, I used to say it's almost like that Alsatian dog, you know, that's there. Somebody mm. will walk a little close, the ears brick up, they get a little closer, start to growl. Mm. You're kind of <laughs> like that because my mm -hmm. job is obviously the last thing they would want me to do is punch a fan, Richard Norton. It wouldn't mm -hmm. be Richard Norton punches the fan, it would be David Bowie's bodyguard punches yeah. the fan. So I was, I was very aware that that's the last thing I could do. So my job was to go to a concert, basically suss out the crowd, who was sitting in the front rows, who's had too much to drink, get local security, keep a little more of an eye on them. And basically then I was the last line of defence. If somebody, if a punter actually got on stage, mm. that was my job to get them off and to get them off in the most friendly manner possible. Did they ever have anybody who was a bit of a worry? You know, maybe he was... Incidents, uh, Richard. Are there any incidents <laughs> yes. that uh, you can tell us about that would uh, we'd, uh, be fascinated by? Mm. Yeah, no, there were, were incidents, but not as many as one would think. You know, especially, you know, I worked in just about every city in the US with these artists, you know. And the, it's all, it's not so bad at a concert because I have all the local security to deal with. I can get them to work, tell them what I want, what that artist likes in the way of people approaching, et cetera, et cetera. The shit really that can happen is when you go to a local club or local bar. Say you go with someone like David and you're in some little shit-kicking town in the US, you know, and all the local girlies are going... Mm. Or you know, haywire. Like they go after Sam. You know, and of course, <laughs> the local guys are like, "Oh, look at this, you know, fucking skinny little prick." That, that, <laughs> then I'm one out. Then I've got to be a lot more careful. And and yeah. there were situations you got to deal with, not so much <clears throat> with the average person that you can chat to. It's if somebody's out of their face on something or drunk or yep. whatever. Typical things that would happen in a pub in Melbourne. That's when you got to be very careful. But. You know, it, it's um, like we were in, uh, I was with Stevie Nicks in, in, in a place near Florida and we actually had FBI working with us because this guy had sent a telegram to then President Ronald Reagan saying he was basically going to, he said this cowboy's had his day. So it was a you know, threat to kill him. The same guy had sent a letter to Stevie Nicks, you know, because I used to get any weird mail. Mm. Same thing, threatening her, so they're all there. By the way, when you know it's a, a real threat is when the guy sends his photograph and details about himself, you know he's really <sighs> mm. out of whack. And believe it or not, they, the FBI and that found this guy sitting in the second row of this concert and managed to recognise him mm. and take him out of there. And that's, that's sort of an indication of what the job's all about. You don't want it to get to the stage where he's actually front there standing with a gun 
It's yeah. about that preemption of stuff like that. And uh, same thing with Linda. You know, I, I used to live, you know, I was living at Linda Ronston's house in Malibu um, when I first went out for a while. And uh, uh, what, what do you mean by that? <laughs> no, no, you were living with Linda Yeah, with you with, went out with Linda Ronstadt? Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's all right. No, I was just... <laughs> Hey, what was I like? something they normally talk about. Yeah, should no, I have known that? Yeah, uh, no. should I have known that? Is that well no, documented? No, 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 no. I've, I've never put that out there. It's no, not, I, when you say, I thought you might, you might yeah, have no, had, a, well, had, had a room out the back somewhere so that you kept an eye on her security-wise. But you're actually going out with her. Yeah, I, I went out with Linda well, well for done. a year and a half or two years. You know, that was, she was the reason I ended up in the states in the first place oh, because were the stone the, ponies there? I did. That was before the stone ponies. <laughs> but I did a tour with Linda in. 78 and uh, as a bodyguard anyway they left and she wanted me to go and work for her full time in the US mm. and I uh, wouldn't wonder Richard <laughs> <laughs> so there you go but, but uh, getting back to my is story is it like the film The Bodyguard with Kevin Costner uh, you know is, hey, is there a little bit of that going on you know funny you mentioned that I actually knew a makeup artist who was working on The Bodyguard yep. movie he invited me down to the set and I'm standing there and I hear this voice say, oh, Richard, I look over and it's Kevin Costner calling out to me. Wow. I'm like, how the hell does he know no, who I am? Yeah. Well, cut to apparently he was going out with a friend of Linda's, ended up backstage just before he'd done much in the before way that made yeah. him somebody I would know. And because you got to have backstage pass and all this sort of stuff, I apparently kicked him out of the backstage area, which he remembered, you know. <laughs> and we ended up having a conversation about the movie and Bodyguard. It was very much like that. I was working with Linda and going out with it, all of that. So there were a lot of parallels. And he was asking me about the job and attitudes and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, was yeah. That, and there was a sort of a companion movie to that called Someone to Watch Over Me with Tom Berenger. That's yeah. who you look like. Yeah, a bit, a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so I was got sidetracked about Linda. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm still thinking about Linda Ronstadt. So, I think. So yeah, and you know what? Just just to put in, I, I still speak with Linda. You know, I just spoke with her a week ago. We talk wow. on the phone, but you know, and fortunately, and I'm not giving away any secrets here because I. I wouldn't do that but she's got a it's not like it's like parkinson's you know where she's like control of the yeah, no, nervous I, system and cannot even sing that. a note anymore yeah i think i think yeah. that, that's quite well documented I yeah. Think, yeah which is which is tragic yeah, when you think of sad. somebody who could sing operator rock and roll country and western and her whole life fashion is singing to suddenly not be able to sing a note and so, uh, but her attitude is still great. She's like, I've had a fantastic life. I'm, I'm, you know what I mean. Yeah. She's very accepting of her her lot in life. So you're sort of on call twenty four seven. If uh, these celebs like uh, Belushi or John Belushi, yeah, work with John. Joey or if they want to go out to dinner with people, you do you go to the restaurant and have a table up the back somewhere, or what do you do? Sit out the front in a car, or what? No, you have no, to keep no. An well, eye on them? well, it can be depending. You know, a lot of security that would be the case. But one of the reasons I got so much work with these bands and for so long is because I just look like a member of the band. Yeah. So it's not like this heavy sort yeah. of set overtures yeah. hanging around them. So we just became great friends. You know, an example like James Taylor, how long has he been around, for goodness yeah. sake? Mm -hmm. 
And I just got a text from James, oh, coming to Australia in April, so looking forward to catching up. Wow. You know, and I thought, how good is that? I haven't seen James in quite a while, but it's those sort of relationships that come out of a job that are just... They're just precious, when he comes you know? out, Richard, ask him to come in here and have a chat to us with you. In fact, we'll hand this over to you. You can do it and speak. You can I'll interview. Talk to him. As, so, speaking about, um, you look like one of the band. You don't pack guns and knives, but uh, what you do have is about forty-eight. Uh, <laughs> you have five fifth Dan black. What is all that? How do you have a fifth Dan? Black belt, six Dan, eight Dan. How did rank. you first get into it? How do you, how what a, what a, what is it? What is a, what difference between a five, six, and eight stand? They're, they're just belt? they're just levels. It'd probably be like playing football in high school, and then you go and play yeah. in junior leagues, and then you go to the actual league. You know, they're they're just they're just levels of advancement in the art that a student gets as an indication of their improvement, and also the hierarchy. You know, a lot of martial arts systems are not unlike the military. In other words, you have a corporal and a colonel and a lieutenant, all these sorts of things. And it's, um, it's important that on a, on, in martial arts that you know who the teacher is and who the student is, oh, you yeah. know, and who basically gives the instruction and who helps the student on their, their journey. Look, and I, but I would say a black belt is a black belt is a black belt. With the difference between first and third and fifth and sixth, you know, it's it's it's. I would argue, subjective. yeah, there's probably different. Yeah, it's it's very subjective. So, Richard, know. so the confidence of knowing that you could deal with not the average punter, but just about anyone who caused you grief within reason, like that—that that is why it's so um, uh, so confident. Having the confidence to deal with people, knowing that you could handle them and yourself without having to pull out a gun or a knife or bloody, I suppose, isn't it? It's the confidence knowing you can handle yourself. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, the, what, which again, I would argue is probably another reason I did so much work is because, again, they knew the last thing I would do is punch yes. somebody. Yes. If, you know, unless it was absolutely necessary. And, you know, I love Napoleon had a saying that confidence is a factor of preparation. Yep. He was talking about war, you know. But the same sort of thing, the more prepared you are for combat, the better you're able to handle it and diffuse it and use dialogue and everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of what you see, even in law enforcement, whether it's states or here, with maybe police shooting, you know, perhaps as it were, or whatever suspect this comes out of fear because they have nothing else to fall back on yes. due to the lack of training necessary to control a really out-of-control physical person, you know? So they go to lethal force, and, and it's out of fear, and a lot of fights start that way. People lash out like caged animals because they have no real skill set. Mm. Is something about, and this is, this is also what the idea of what we do with martial arts is give a student confidence, you know, to know there are different avenues to handle aggressive and violent situations. So, so I noticed you had a small chuckle when I mentioned uh, John Belushi, uh, uh, I suppose the Blues Brothers and uh, all the Belushi boys. Uh, did you have uh, much to do with them? Uh, yeah, no, I, I would. out of control a little, or is that a bit... Uh, a bit apocryphal. Or no, no, John, first of all, John was a... What? 
John, 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 I just loved him. I, that actually started, uh, Linda was doing uh, Saturday Night Live, as you know, a legendary yeah. sort of show based yeah. in New York. And I was in the dressing room and I would always limber her up and same with all the artists, you know, stretch them out a little, getting ready for whatever their performance is. And John came in, saw me with Linda. That's kind of all it took. He asked, well, who's he? From that, I'm the only person he wanted to go with him on tour with the Blues Brothers and everything, which is interesting. So it's a little bit like, meaning my job is not somebody you send in a resume, you know. Mm. It's really somebody who knows somebody and, oh, well, if he's with that person, then he must be okay. So I ended up working with John on the Blues Brothers movie. I got to meet Aretha Franklin and Ray Charles and all these incredible people. John's, John's, again, got a heart of gold, but just extreme, you know. I said to John once, I said, what is it with you? I said, you're so smart, but you're like on a suicide mission, whether it came to food or cocaine as the drug of choice, especially then. It was just the extreme, you know, and, and, and unfortunately, a lot of people like John, where it's a problem is people around that little capsule of people, in order to ingratiate themselves, yep. with, themselves with someone like John, oh, offer him drugs, exactly. you know what I mean? And suddenly, but, you know, I would see, you know, and again, I, you know, I want to emphasize here, I'm not giving away any secrets because this is pretty well known mm-hmm. so i said i'm not into divulge i don't want to be the kiss and tell but you know butler 20 years later but you know i'd see people come up and you used to get a gram of coke you know a little vial it would cost maybe 200 dollars. normally you'd say oh you want a bit of coke people would take a tiny little mm. piece out on well john would empty the whole freaking <laughs> vial into his fist and down it would go you'd see the person going oh fuck that's my 200 dollars gone yeah. But that was his life, you know. And um, but but he was just in, he was just a, a again passionate person, artist, Living you know. Life to the excess. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and enjoying every minute of it, you know. Actually, my friend Bill Wallace, who's another world champion kickboxer, I ended up getting Bill a job working with John because I was committed to Linda and James and Fleetwood Mac at the time. I said I can't continue out so anyway i got bill to work bill was the one who found john at the chateau Marmont in los angeles wow. famous kind of bedding place yeah. for all the bands we used to always stay there and he was the one who found him and found john unconscious gave him heart massage everything tried to revive him and couldn't and uh it's a little bit of history right there so right. from the sublime to the ridiculous i have a feeling unless the perception is not quite this uh, abba on the other hand would be uh, probably a Completely different. Oh, yeah, Lucy total total contrast. Yeah. yeah, they're probably straight, 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 very talented, competent people. But yeah, no, and 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 just again, beautiful people. I know that seems like a cliche, but they really were. You know, the girls they wouldn't wear makeup off stage. There was so there was so much lack of any pretension with them mm. and everything else. You know, as you know, Molly Muldrum was one of the key people that yeah. basically got them out to Australia, which yep. started an avalanche, you know, throughout the rest of the world. But I, uh, you know, I ended up training the girls, tough gig, by the way, Sam, somebody had to do it in their bikinis <laughs> by swimming pools on the beach. I know, I had to grit my teeth, but <laughs> I just, you know, 
being a somehow martial you, artist, somehow you I would. just persevered. Well, uh, if, if, if I had my way of choice, I wouldn't mind you teaching me how to do a few of my tricks too, so I'm <laughs> oh, sure the girls you, didn't mind. Allow me to <laughs> be <laughs> completely <laughs> candid, Richard. If I had my choice, I'd like you to be looking after me too. <laughs> Uh, no, but Abba, Abba would just, they were just the best, you know, and again, just regular people. You know, I often say to people that the best part of that, the job I did for like 20 plus years was that I got to actually know the real person, not the persona they put on stage. People always say, oh, what was David Bowie like? They always think you're going to talk about the weirdest person in the world, and they're not. They're just people that have found a niche. Yeah understand how to sell it they understand the press conference they do and how even you know i remember mick jagger saying to me once you know i said to him once after a press conference i said your accent isn't as strong or almost cockney sounding as that and he basically i'm paraphrasing said he said look he said how long have i been doing this they still think they're going to interview me and trip me up with some weird question he said we just give them what they want they want the sex drugs and rock and roll persona mm-hmm. and he basically would feed that because mm-hmm. there was a doco you know i watched on stones not that long and you hear him talk about his history he's it's so tongue-in-cheek the way he refers to it and laughing about it he understands so much of it's an act but having said that seeing the real person you realize the one absolute through line of all those people is passion they're absolutely passionate about mm. what they do nobody has a career lasting as long as they do without being absolutely passionate like lindsey buckingham you know guitarist for Fleet Fleet Mac. Mac. every tour bus we were on i never stopped, saw him not fiddling with that guitar trying to find a real note or linda ronstadt i remember one day sitting in the car and she was on the phone trying to find another voice coach and this is years into her career she was never content she was trying to find a voice coach to help her hit a note slightly differently or whatever and i thought wow they're the parallels with martial arts too we're always a student we're always trying to find something new to learn how can i be a different martial artist to what i was a year ago I want to express my art in a different way and they're exactly the same they're always just like chameleons you know trying to reinvent themselves and then you're great uh, you had a great i think you had a great relationship with um walker texas ranger chuck yeah, norris, chuck norris uh, yeah. did you was that more than just a, a professional uh, assignment or engagement you mean we were going out there was he going out with no, it no, yeah. so i had do you mix socially with uh, i yeah. did sort of ask you that before do you mix socially with these people or is it just business you worked on the octagon is that right yeah no octagon was my first movie and that came and and sam you know Bob Jones, of course, yes, Bob and yep, I yep. started Zendikar. Bob was the one who went to the States, met Chuck, brought him out to Australia in 78. And he was doing demonstrations at some of the very first ever kickboxing com- mm. competitions in Australia. And I was also demonstrating like science or dem- on the same card. Mm. We just got on like a house on fire, I'd like to say. And Chuck said to me, if you ever get to California, look me up and we'll do some training which for a little Croydon mm. boy, you know, getting an offer like that from a legend like Chuck was like, oh, my mm. God. Not thinking I would ever get to the States, 
79, a year later, Linda wants me to go and work for her there. First person I called when I got to the States with Chuck and started training with him every morning at his house. We were trained six days a week for years. And that's what started my film career, because he knew I could handle weapons, wanted me to be his nemesis in the Octagon, one of his earlier action movies. Mm. I was like this ninja enforcer, and that's what started it all off. And and Chuck, um, Judy and I just went stayed with Chuck um, uh, six months ago. He's got a place in Hawaii, in Kauai. We stayed with him. We're still dear friends. He was best man at my wedding. um, Really? Well, it was a reasonable question when Mm. I said, do you have a... Intimate relationship with Chuck. Absolutely. Yeah, no, he's a dear friend. And mm-hmm. he, he helped me so much with my career in that he was so well respected in the martial arts world. So I got to beat and train with people that I would never have access to, normally speaking. So, yeah, he's, he, he's been a great friend. And as so I said, still is. Martial arts kind of expos and things. You would take part in all this too, where they would demonstrate the art, you know, because mm-hmm. Bruce Lee did this and Chuck Doris. So, you, were you part of that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been teaching at Chuck. He has these called these uh, UFAF or United Fighting Arts Federation. They have had seminars in Vegas each year since 1980, and yeah. I've I've taught almost each year since about 1983, and they've just asked me to go again in July. So that's where you get different martial arts from different systems that go mm. and teach. I, I probably more specialise in reality-based self-defence, you know, mm-hmm. what I had to learn being on the road. Um, two martial artists that basically are, are school-trained, as it were, and you teach them to take those tools and hopefully give them a bit of a game plan should it ever become real. Uh, so Wesley Snipes, I don't know why I've got his name written down, he was, was he a, is he a stunt, I know who he, Wesley, Wesley Snipes is, but was he part of fight choreography, did you train him or what? No, what no, I, I, didn't, I didn't, I had a good friend who was his stunt double, but oh, Wesley's see. an actor, you know, but yeah. also quite an accomplished martial artist as well. Ah, that's what I Yeah, saying. and yeah. you know, he, he really impressed me when I saw a couple of his early fight scenes because he managed to put what we call traditional martial arts which to a lot of the MMA world would say well traditional arts don't really work you know they're pretty to watch and all of that but I would argue someone like Wesley the way he'd throw a sidekick and everything else I thought he was fantastic and as you know it's not the art it's the individual you know Mm. and and how good is that particular person at what they do and you know, again, I didn't work with Wesley, but I did meet him, and he was lovely. He also nicely said, oh, I've watched so many of your movies, blah, yeah. blah, 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 which is nice. You know, when, yeah. So there was only one James Bond for me, that was Sean Connery, but that's because I saw the first one in 1960, <laughs> yeah, 61, yeah. uh, I think. Yep. Uh, but uh, you were on... Licence to Kill, were you? No, With no, Timothy I know. Timothy Dalton, it's did funny. you? I don't know where that came from, that c- Sam. That's right. Comes yeah, off your it, bio. I did not work on any of the Bond movies. No, no? You didn't have anything to do with Timothy Dalton? No. Well, that's... Yeah. You can't trust the machine. Again. No, I know. <laughs> I, I saw that once. I don't know uh, where the hell that came from. Now, I know I asked you this uh, before, and you may, maybe you, this is a thing that you... So Alec Baldwin, like, had, had a gun, he shot someone and they died, by mistake, of course. But if, if you were on that set of that film, Rustic, and you were charged with uh, training them and that, would that end up coming back to uh, rebound on you? Or It wouldn't to me because I would have nothing to do with the guns. 
that's an armourer's job. It's a very correct. specific yep. and obviously important position. And that was a fuck up of many, in many areas in that normally speaking, like if we're on the set, there's, there's an armourer who hands the weapon yep. to me. There's the armourer who will open whatever the weapon is and verify that it's empty. A third person has to also verify what I'm seeing is empty. And blanks, the gun, the yeah, bullets. Yeah. yeah, well, never any, there's never, ever a reason for live bullets on set, so that's also part of the court cases. Why was there live ammunition? Yep. Apparently, a lot of the cast were, were even having pot shots, you know, with the weapons, uh, mm. whatever day on the set, which... Some carelessness that could have been behind Oh, God, it. absolute carelessness. Plus, you know, the, the AD was the one that handed the weapon to Alec, which is, is not acceptable, you know. It's the armourer's job to mm. do that. Yes, you can. the AD can verify that the weapon is, is safe or cold or whatever it is. But it also, you know, I don't want to give a judgment on this, but I would have thought someone like Alex, with his experience... Mm. I mean that's the f that's the the golden rule. You you always treat the weapon as loaded. You would never point it. So obviously he has. Mm. You know, normally if I was going to shoot Sue on set, thank you. They yes. would put the camera there. They would you know all of that. But even the operator wouldn't be behind that screen. Mm -hmm. Nobody would be there. You so know, there are instances where you can point a weapon on. You acknowledge both of you, you've acetate, it's mm -hmm. absolutely empty, there are situations. Mm -hmm. But nowadays they won't even have, even blanks are going to be absolute scarcity on set because they can do it in post anyway. They can give the flash and the sound and everything else. Um, some directors like blanks because it's a more realistic... Visceral, yeah. You know, yes, and the, and the way the the you know chambering of the gun and everything like that, but it's just not necessary. And of course, it's changed the mm -hmm. climate on sets now. That everybody's just being so much more careful. Well, now, Richard, uh, this has uh, been a fascinating insight and um, uh, to the world of fantasy that we live in when we go and watch all these things. And someone who's uh, at the cold face, if I could use any more uh, cliches than that. Uh, just who is the most, just the Dorothy Dixes to finish, uh, who, the most extravagant or out of control people or person you've worked with or think they're a risk to themselves or they've got to moderate their life or what, uh, what, what, what are some, something you could leave us with that, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who would you like to have, who would you like to have minded or looked after that you didn't, I suppose... Well, not your era, but Michael Jackson, Elvis, Frank, all those people are gone. But uh, who, who would you like to have been? Who, who, who do you admire? Um, yeah. Oh, God, that's a hard question. Because, yeah, again, was I was fortunate enough to work with some of the top names in, yeah. in the business when I did, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean... Again, to be around someone like an Aretha Franklin, yeah. which is a totally different area to the rock and roll would have been amazing but again just because you see that passion in them mm. you know i it's and i as far as out of control no i i've been very fortunate you know i would love to work with someone like a denzel washington i yeah. just think mm. he's amazing yeah people like that clint eastwood did you ever meet clint eastwood no i didn't but i i worked with um jeffrey lewis was an actor who you would know if you saw him because he was mm. in 
God, dozen Clint mm. Eastwood movies. I trained his daughter, Juliet Lewis, when she did um, Natural, Natural Born Killers. Oh, you know? wow. Yeah. Oliver Stone. For a little bit of that. And, um, but Jeffrey's very funny because he, he would say, he basically said every actor and crew person should do a movie with Clint Eastwood to know how a set should be run because he's notorious for bringing films in under budget, under time. There's not even a chair. He says if, the, if you need a chair, then you're not working hard enough. He will do one or two takes and then he just moves on. And he told me a funny story. I think it was Wolfgang Peterson. The famous director did a scene with Clint and they shot the scene and Wolfgang says to Clint, oh, Clint, that was fantastic, that was great. Okay, we'll just do one more. And, and Jeffrey said, Clint gets that dirty Harry look and says, was I in focus? And Wolfgang says, yeah, and Clint says, that'll be fine. <laughs> and that's it, and they Beautiful. move on. I thought, oh, how so good was that? made some of the simplest, uh, Gran Torino, I agree. Mule. Unforgiven, no, Unforgiven, uh, and I know he, film. I think yeah. he directed Sully, mm. yep. which is a... He's still directing now, yeah. right? he's like in his I 90s, know. and he's still a great director. I know. He's producing quality work. Yeah. Great, you know? Hey, Richard Norton, this has been fantastic, and thank you, Sue, for uh, getting Richard to come in. You're a star, mate, and uh, we wish you well. Thank and you And we'll uh, keep following you, following what you do, and thank you so much. Oh, it's good. You know, I'd like to say the, the good news is the journey continues. You know, we've got some more movie roles coming up this year. No more bodyguard work. I'll give you a little insight as to why that stopped, by the way, because you'd understand this being guys. You know, when I started, and Judy laughs because it's not a secret, but the big mistake, you know, when you meet someone like Judy... You know, I started, she wanted to hear all the war stories on the road, you know, of course, you yes. get them all hot and bothered. Yep. Well, I said to her, I didn't think I was going to fucking marry you, cut to getting married, you know, I got offered a tour and I said, oh, babe, you know, they want me to, that was it, put the hammer down, no oh. way. And I said, no, but I'm, you know, it's different, that was it. And she said, Norton, if you think I'm going to believe your shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I call you the Mr. Nice Guy. <laughs> exactly. So that was the end of it. But anyway, yeah, it's it's been a great a journey and it's still going. You're so a superstar. thankful for all of that. Yeah. Good on you, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. I'm open around the streets late at night. I'm worried because you ain't treating me right. Come back again